Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. December 3rd, 9.45 p.m. Magnus gunned his Arctic cat down the main road. The snow-packed road's perfect condition was a bit ironic, considering Clayton had groomed it, yet Magnus was heading to Clayton's house because the man had seemingly slacked in his duties. Clayton Detweiler had always been the poster boy of blue-collar work ethic. Maybe he looked like he slept in mustard and didn't know that razors even existed, but the mansion was always clean and all the phone lines worked. Everything seemed to just be taken care of, as if by some invisible hand. But for the last two days, Magnus had barely seen Clayton. Not around the mansion, not around the hangar. The roads and trails were groomed, but how much time could that require? Phone line repairs had also taken far longer than normal. Most significantly, the mansion looked dirty. Nothing big, a few papers here and there, but that wasn't normal. All of it meant the old man's attention was focused elsewhere. After Roomcorf's call, Magnus had a good idea why. Magnus drove into Clayton's driveway. He walked up to the front door and tried the handle. Locked. He drew his Beretta, then raised a foot and push-kicked. The door flew open banging against an inside wall. No one home. He looked in the kitchen, then moved through the living room. Nothing. He moved to Clayton's bedroom. Bed unmade, clothes covering the floor. Magnus was about to leave when something white in a pile of clothes caught his eye. He bent down and picked it up. A bra. Andy, you were right about one thing, Magnus said to the room. Sarah Puranam is a fucking cunt. Somehow, Puranam had brought that goddamn plane back. That meant as many as four military-trained people on the island, all armed with Berettas. He walked to Clayton's wall-mounted phone. Next to the phone hung a picture of a young Clayton and a young Clint Eastwood, each holding up a huge steelhead trout, both grinning like mad. Magnus dialed the mansion's general number. No answer. Goddamn Clayton was out on the trails again, or, more likely, hanging out wherever he'd stashed Sarah and the others. Was Sarah and her crew with Roomcorf? Was Andy heading into a trap? Magnus dialed another number. Watchtower, Gunter here. Gun, Magnus. Any sign of Dante? Nope, and no aircraft either. A slice of good news. Magnus needed to clear up all these loose ends before his brother arrived. Dante might turn a blind eye to murder that had already happened, but he wouldn't stand by while Magnus executed people. Turn the radar on and leave it on, Magnus said. I'm out on the sled. You see anything? You hit the air raid siren. Yes, sir. Have you seen Colding and Andy? Two sleds just went by, Gunther said. Could be them. What about Clayton's BV-206? Saw the zebra-striped thing about five minutes ago, heading southwest toward the mansion. It's frickin' freezing up here, Megs. How about I come down and work the security room for a while? Magnus hung up without answering. Clayton was heading back to the mansion. Was he going for the armory? 
Did he have Sarah and her crew with him? The Arctic Cat was much faster than the BV-206. Magnus ran out of Clayton's house. Whatever it took, he had to get to the mansion first. December 3rd, 9.50 p.m. Colding held the throttle wide open, pushing the Arctic Cat to its limits. The cat's headlights illuminated a narrow cone of the wooded trail's thick darkness. The trail popped out of the trees at Big Todd Harbor, then continued along the coastline. A cloud-covered moon cast down feeble light. The name Harbor was a misnomer for this northwest side beach strewn with huge, jagged chunks of weathered limestone. But it was an inlet, so long ago someone had named it thus all the same. He cast a quick glance out at the water and did a double-take. The small inlet looked completely frozen over. At least a half mile of ice stretched out from the coast, as if Black Manitou was growing. The bitter cold wasn't satisfied with claiming just the land. It wanted everything, including the churning waters of Lake Superior. He looked back up the trail, and his hands reactively locked on the brakes. A fallen tree blocked the path. Colding fought to keep the snowmobile under control. The rear end fishtailed to the left, but he brought it to a stop just parallel to the tree. The sled now pointed straight toward the trail's three-foot-high right snowbank. Dead and free of bark, the tree blocking the road really wasn't much of a tree at all. Maybe a foot in diameter. If he'd hit it full speed, however, it would have demolished his snowmobile and probably killed him. The tree had fallen from the left side of the trail and only extended about four feet onto the right bank. They could easily go around it. But there was something odd about the tree. Behind him, Andy slowed his Polaris to a stop, his headlights illuminating the dead wood. Colding dismounted his Arctic cat and knelt next to the log. He flipped up his face shield for a better look. Long, deep, parallel white marks covered the old wood. Claw marks from a bear, maybe? Not a bear. You know what it is. No. No way. He sensed Andy walking up behind him. Andy had been on Black Manitou many times over the years. Maybe he'd say it was normal, not what Colding already knew it had to be. Colding patted the claw marks with his left hand. Andy, take a look at this. You ever seen anything like this on the island? Andy leaned down for a closer look. Can't say that I have. What is it? Looks like claw marks. Please tell me there are bears on this island. Andy stood up, shaking his head. I've never seen any, and I've been in these woods dozens of times. Colding ran his gloved fingers over the deep marks. The four parallel grooves were almost two inches apart. The claw would be huge. He wondered if the thing that had made these marks was moving southwest, toward the mansion, or north, toward Roomkorf. Then his eyes registered the footprints. Everywhere. Hundreds of them, pressed into the packed trail. Big prints, eight inches wide and a foot long, clean indentations of claw tips in front of each of the four toes. The snowmobile's lights cast black shadows within the prints, making them look deeper, larger, even more ominous. If Roomkorf made it back, then the cows could have made it back, too.
the memory of the camera-biting fetus stabbed at him. A few pounds then. Now, probably over 200. Colding stood and walked back to his snowmobile. Andy, we've got to move fast. I think I know what made those marks. He swung his leg over the Arctic cat and sat. He paused before hitting the start button and looked back. Andy was just standing there. Andy took off his gloves. Well, I guess this is as good a place as any. For what? With a smooth motion, Andy unzipped his snowsuit, reached inside, and came out with his Beretta pointed right at Colding. To pay you back for drawing down on me. Colding stared at the gun. How could he have been so stupid? He should have tried to take Andy out the second he realized the C-5 was on the island. There was no way he could unzip his snowsuit and draw his own Beretta before Andy gunned him down. Andy, the, the cows. Did Magnus tell you what's inside the cows? Just listen to me for a second. Look at the weird footprints all over the ground. It's those things. Andy nodded. Yeah, that's a problem for sure. But you know what? It's really not a problem for you. Not anymore. This was it. He was going to die, shot to death on this frozen island. Andy, please. He heard his own voice crack a little. Was that what begging sounded like, coming out of his own mouth? Come on, man. This is bad. You don't have to do this. Wrong. Magnus told me to do it. It's either me or you. Good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun, so I choose you. Colding's mind raced for something to say, but words escaped him. What would it feel like to be shot? Holy shit, holy shit. Maybe he could die for Andy's feet. Maybe... Andy cocked the hammer. You ready, Bubba? Colding didn't say anything. Couldn't say anything. A crack echoed across the darkness. Colding's body twitched violently anticipating the lethal pain, but after a fraction of a second, he realized the sound had come from the woods. A broken stick. Andy turned his head to look. His gun remained leveled at Colding. Colding moved to launch himself at Andy, but he wasn't even halfway out of his seat before Andy turned back, eyes locked on Colding. Don't bother, duck fucker. Colding froze. He was screwed, so utterly screwed. Another cracking sound, smaller this time, but still definitive. Colding thought he saw movement deep in the wood's blackness. From the trees behind Andy came a low, slow, deep growl. Colding's skin tingled all over. He felt a new fear, a primitive fear, even beyond that brought on by a gun pointed at his face. Andy took a few steps back, increasing his distance from Colding then looked into the dark woods. Colding couldn't breathe. Overwhelming. He had to get away from there. Had to, had to, but Andy wouldn't let him move. There's a lot of them, Colding said, his words coming fast. Dozens, maybe forty. You need me or they'll take you down. Two guns, man, two. You talk too much, Andy said. He once again focused on Colding. It's been real, dickweed. Something erupted out of the woods. Andy flinched just as the gun fired, throwing off his aim. The bullet hit the seat behind Colding, ripping up the vinyl and tearing out a huge chunk of foam rubber. Massive. That was the only word for the thing. White with the black spots of a cow 
a lion-sized cross between a gorilla and a hyena. Thick shoulders, black beady eyes, a mouth big enough to bite a man clean in half, and teeth that look like they could pierce steel plate. Weigh over 400 pounds, easy. Fuck a duck, Andy said. It bounded forward, roaring, huge muscles rippling under the black and white fur, heaving chest pushing up snow like the wake from a speedboat. A long fin rose up from the thing's head, revealing a bright yellow membrane running from the fin to the creature's back. A single thought dominated Colding's mind. I'd rather take a bullet. He thumbed the start button. The engine fired, and Colding hit the throttle. Andy twisted to fire at Colding, then quickly changed his mind and turned to shoot at the oncoming creature, now only 20 yards away and closing fast. Pop, 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 pop. Colding's sled shot up and over the three-foot bank, plunging into the snow beyond. He turned hard left, parallel to the trail. Pop, 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 pop. Each shot made Colding wince, made him wonder if the bullets were tearing into him and he just couldn't feel it. His sled lurched through the deep snow. He couldn't pick up speed. He glanced over at the bloody creature struggling to crawl toward Andy. It had taken at least ten shots at point-blank range, yet still it came on, big jaws snapping on empty air. Andy turned, his eyes locking on Colding's. The empty magazine dropped free. Andy already had another in hand, and it slid into the Beretta with sickening, professional speed. Colding looked forward and leaned low as the sled finally accelerated. All he heard was the engine's powerful scream. The fallen tree passed by on his left. Then he saw them. To the front and the right, two more of the creatures were coming out of the nighttime woods, barely illuminated by his headlights, ten yards away and closing fast. A bullet punched a hole in his plexiglass windshield. Colding angled left toward the trail. He had to jump the bank like Sarah had shown him. He already had the throttle opened up, but he squeezed harder anyway. A sudden blazing pain exploded in his right shoulder, but he didn't let go. Closing in from the right, the first creature leaped for him. Colding hit the bank and pushed down hard on the runners. The sled shot out over the trail, a jet plume of snow streaking behind it. The thing's impossibly long claws reached out and out and out, swinging down in an arc that hit the seat just behind Colding's ass. In midair, the snowmobile's back end lurched to the left. Colding threw his body to the right to counteract the sudden shift, just as the Arcticat slammed hard on the trail, jarring Colding's body and snapping his head forward. The sled skidded sideways and started to tip, started to roll, but to stop was to die and he savagely brought the machine under control. On the groomed surface, the snowmobile hit 50 miles per hour within seconds. It shot down the dark trail like a screaming rocket. The creatures gave chase, but only for a few moments before they realized their prey could not be caught. They turned their attention back to the other prey, the one standing behind the fallen tree. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. 
December 3rd, 9.53 p.m. Andy fired five rounds at Colding before he felt the claw on his leg. He reflexively jumped straight into the air, jerking and kicking, regaining his balance just before tripping over the fallen tree. He stared down at the monster, brain awash in disbelief. I shot that fucking thing twelve times. And yet still it dragged itself along the ground toward him, leaving a trail of spreading bright red lit up by his snowmobile's headlight. Andy pointed the gun at the thing's head. It opened its mouth nice and wide, still reaching for Andy's life. He pulled the trigger. Pop, 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 pop. The bullets ripped into the open mouth, breaking a pointed tooth, punching holes in the black tongue before blasting out the back of the skull in a spray of blood. The head, mouth still open, finally fell still. A last cloud of breath hissed out, crystallizing in the cold before drifting away. The roar of colding snowmobile faded. Andy heard sounds from the woods. A coppery, acidic feeling blossomed in his stomach as he realized that the dead thing on the ground wasn't alone. He put his third and final magazine into the Beretta. Two long strides brought him to the Polaris. He hopped on and jammed the gun into his open snowsuit. Only a split second to decide between following Colding or turning the machine around and heading back up the trail. Back up the trail, toward the mansion, toward the big guns. He squeezed the throttle and pulled hard to the right, body leaning far out to aid the sudden, sharp turn. On his back left, past the fallen log, he saw two of the creatures, their white fur a nightmarish red in his taillight's glow. They pounded toward him, heads down, legs pumping hard, black eyes angry with pure hunger. Andy finished the turn and shot down the trail, toward the mansion. Speed felt like life, like pure safety. Two more creatures came out of the woods on his right, but they wouldn't be fast enough to stop him. God, but they were so big, like shark-finned bears. Fuck you and your duck, Andy muttered as he leaned forward. Iraqis couldn't kill him, nor could the Afghans, Haitians, Colombians, Nepalese, or the wherever the fuck they came from Taliban, and these test-tube rejects sure as hell weren't going to take him out. Then he saw the tree, leaning, falling, picking up speed as it descended, plumes of snow pouring off branches marking its downward arc. It slammed into the ground with a billowing cloud of powder, completely blocking the trail 50 meters ahead. Andy's left hand pumped the brake as his right fished in his jacket for the gun. His sled's headlight lit up the trail, the blocking tree, and yet another open-mouthed creature just like the pair only a few seconds behind him. The sled still slowing, momentum pulling his body forward, Andy turned in his seat to fire on his pursuers. They were faster than he thought. As he came around, he saw an onrushing mass of black and white surrounding a giant, gaping mouth. The teeth closed on his gun hand, punching through skin and bone as if they were tissue paper-covered twigs. The clawed feet dug in, skidding as the big head ripped to the right, yanking Andy off the seat. He hit the ground, rolled with the momentum, and came up on his feet. Only then did he realize his arm was gone from the elbow down. He had just a moment to look, to be amazed at the surreal sight of his not-there arm, the splintered bones and shredded flesh. Then the second trailing creature smashed into him at full speed. Teeth sank into his chest and shoulder.
Andy screamed just once before the two creatures from his right joined the fray. Less than 30 seconds after the first bite, only bloodstains and an overturned snowmobile marked Andy Crosswaite's passing. December 3rd, 10 p.m. Colding braked to a stop on a rise that gave him a view of both Sven's house and the trail behind him. Ten minutes had passed since that crazy flight for life. His heart still pounded so hard, he wondered if his end might not come from a bullet or a monster, but from cardiac arrest. He turned to look back, the barrel of his Beretta leading his vision. Nothing right behind him, but how could he be sure? He peered deeper into the dark, shadow-soaked woods on either side, watching for movement or a strange-looking patch of black and white. Muscles stayed clenched. The barrel wiggled in time with his shaking hand. His stomach was bound up so tight he couldn't draw a deep breath. He saw hundreds of the creatures in the darkness, behind every log, lurking under the snow-laden branches of every tree, waiting to spring, waiting for him to turn away so they could rush him and tear him apart. Colding held his breath, then forced a long, slow exhale. He had to get control of himself. There was nothing out there. Emotions raged through him. Fear of the creatures, frustration from not knowing Sarah's fate, humiliation at having begged for his life. He had to calm down, calm down, and think. Sarah might still be alive, might be with Roomkorf, hiding out in Sven's house. Colding had to start there. He switched the pistol to his right hand, then reached back with his left and checked the right shoulder wound for the first time. Felt like a burning poker had been permanently fixed to his screaming skin. His fingers came away wet with blood, but not a lot. He slowly rotated his arm. Pain, sure, but full range of motion. Andy's bullet had missed the bone. Colding had never been shot before but he didn't think the wound was all that bad. He wiped the blood on the leg of his snowsuit. He switched the Beretta back to his left hand and drove with his right, down the ridge, toward the lights of Sven's barn. He had to get out of sight, and not just because of the monsters. He had no way of knowing if Andy was still out there, hunting, maybe even looking at Colding this very second, lining up a shot. The gun snapped up when he saw the small man in the black parka standing in the open barn door. Andy? No, this man was even smaller than Andy. Roomkorf. Colding kept the gun trained on him anyway, then pointed it off. What the hell was he doing? Think, man. Have to think. He slid the snowmobile to a halt in front of Roomkorf, but didn't shut off the engine. It idled as he looked the man over. Klaus Roomkorf looked like a torture victim. Oozing burn blisters covered most of his face. He wore no hat. The left side of his scalp flaked black where it wasn't raw and red. Tufts of blackened down hung precariously in spots where his parka was nothing more than torn and melted nylon, providing no warmth, no protection. His lips were swollen, cracked, and white. His eyes looked vacant and ghostly, soulless. My God, Doc, are you okay? Where's Sarah and the crew? Roomkorf didn't answer. He held out his left hand. No gloves. Fingers swollen to twice their normal size, 
blue from burst blood vessels brought on by frostbite. Second-degree frostbite, probably only a few hours away from the third degree that would demand the amputation of those fingers. Colding had to get the man inside. How gone was Roomcorp that he wasn't waiting inside Sven's house? And for that matter, where was Sven? In the palm of his ravaged hand, Roomcorp held something brown with white flecks that gleamed in the barn's light. My fault, Roomcorp said in a tiny voice. All my fault. Doc, did Sarah hide out with you here? Roomcorp shook his head. Did she make it? Where's the plane? Roomcorp spoke with a far-off, distant voice. I made it out just before the explosion. The blast knocked me through the air. I, I burned a little. I didn't see anyone else. They're all dead. Pain. Not the physical kind. Far worse. The same crippling pain he'd felt watching Clarissa die. No. No way. Not Sarah. Did you see Sarah die? See her body? What about the crew, Alonzo and the twins? I woke up in the snow, Runkorf said. I told you I didn't see anyone else. I walked here and hid in the shed. Then the fetuses, they, they came out. I saw them chase down cows, tear them to pieces. Such noises. The ancestors are out there, PJ. You have to believe me. Preaching to the choir. Check out the back of the fucking sled. Roomcorf looked at the ripped seat. Chunks of white foam stuck out from the shredded vinyl. Colding saw Roomcorf's eyes moving from cut to parallel cut. Could almost hear the calculations clicking away in the man's brain. How big? Big. Colding said. Way over 400 pounds, maybe 450. Impossible. They would need tens of thousands of pounds of food to reach that size. Colding looked back to the barn. Would 50 cows at about 1,500 pounds each do the trick? Roomcorf stared at the barn, seemingly dumbfounded by the question. Yes. Yes, that would do it. And if they get the other cows at the Harvey's? They could get even bigger. The Harveys. Shit. Get on, Colding said. Roomcorf let out a yelp of pain as he sat on the claw-shredded seat. Who knew which of his many injuries had zinged him? Maybe it was all of them. Colding drove the sled the fifty yards to the house, then stopped on the far side so it wouldn't be visible from the road. He ran inside, feeling the house's warmth on his face even as he scanned for and found the phone. Roomcorp followed him in. Who are you calling? I already called the mansion and talked to Andy. I'm kind of aware of that, Colding said. I'm calling the Harveys. The phone rang and rang and rang. Call the mansion, Roomcorp said. Have them bring that zebra tank thing. Please, get us out of here. Colding hung up. Can't do that. I came out here with Andy under Magnus's orders. Andy tried to kill me. Is Andy dead? I don't know. Maybe the ancestors got him, or maybe he's coming after us right now. Roomcorf sagged. He still held the brown rock in his hand. So Magnus really does want me dead? They don't call you a fucking genius for nothing. Come on, we gotta go. Go there. Magnus will kill us. We have to get to the Harveys. They didn't answer. Then they're dead, 
Rumkorf said, shaking his head. We can't go out there. Doc, we have to. And I'm not leaving you here, so let's go. Rumkorf shook his head harder, eyes wide, a little drool dripping out of the right corner of his open mouth. Nine, nine! I watched through the shed window. They caught the cows and killed them, ate them. They eat everything, Colding, bones and all. He held out his frostbitten hand, again offering up the white speckled rock. But it wasn't a rock. It was a chunk of dark brown, speckled with tiny white ice crystals. Doc, what is that? Stool. What? Feces. Shisa. From the ancestors. Colding finally recognized one of the white things. A human tooth. A molar. Oh, Jesus Christ. They ate Sven, Rumkorf said. They ate Sven and all the cows, Colding. Bones and all. Do you understand? Bones and all. The ancestors were out there, hunting. Could be anywhere on the island. Anywhere. Colding forced his hands to stop shaking. He didn't know where Sarah was, if she was even alive at all. But the Harveys? He knew exactly where they were. And Magnus knew where Roomkorf was, whether Andy had lived or not. They had to get away from Sven's house and fast. Doc, we're going to the Harvey's house. You can either get on the snowmobile with me or I will make you get on it. I really don't want to put my hands on you again, okay? The little man looked at him, shook his head one more time, then he dropped the frozen ancestor shit on the kitchen floor. You'll get us killed, he said. Let's go. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.